to the Child Discipleship Podcast. My name is Melanie, and I'm really glad that we're spending this time together today. Church of the City in Nashville, Tennessee, has taken on a huge initiative to serve not only the foster families in their city, but also the agencies that serve those kids as well. The work that they are doing is remarkable. This conversation was originally recorded at the Child Discipleship Forum this past year. And you can watch Darren's full talk on childdiscipleship.com. But for now, here's that conversation with lead pastor Darren. Darren Weddett, we are here live at the 2023 Child Discipleship Forum. Yes, sir. And I am so grateful to be having this conversation with you. Um, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because you and I've had you and I've had the privilege of talking a little bit. Yes. For folks who are watching, folks who are listening, I want them to head to the links below so that they can learn more about what we're going to talk about. Okay. But you serve as senior pastor at Church of the City mm-hmm. here in Tennessee, and what we're going to be talking about is an is an initiative, a ministry that your church is doing called the Village. But I think more importantly, how we're going to unpack this is how the the vision behind what y'all are doing and how that relates to churches all around the country, all around the world who are listening. So for folks who are brand new to this conversation, Mm -hmm. one of the things that fascinates me is the village aims to help come alongside families in the foster care community. Mm -hmm. As you stepped into the sort of child welfare world broadly, I'm curious what surprises you had and what maybe perhaps even misconceptions you had that actually engaging in this work um, got help sort of correct for you. Sure, well, the reason I'm talking about this is because I married a social worker (laughs) and I have two seminary degrees and we didn't talk about any of this stuff. Sure. So uh, my wife has educated me on the real problems in the trenches in society. Mm. And uh, you know, we're not just exegeting the scripture, but we're exegeting the city, the culture, the, the problems that are going on with the, with the poor and the marginalized and those who don't have a voice. So I have to credit her and, and she's basically been my guide as we've started to get involved in all of this. My biggest surprise is how large the need is and how unaware the church is. Mm. So it seems like in the last 20 years, there was sort of an awakening on global poverty with the church. You know, Bono would say that, uh, you know, the church was like this sleeping giant that could do so much like in Africa and South America and so yeah. forth. And Bono would say, would say uh, to his surprise and delight, the church really did step up as, yeah. as they started to learn. What's interesting to me is that there is also tremendous need that is in the backyard and they're equally as voiceless. Mm-hmm. And the church, generally speaking, doesn't know or doesn't know what to do. Yeah. And so my wife, as a government social worker, gave me a lot of insight on what it's like to work for the government. The government, of course, are the ones that have access to all of these vulnerable children. Mm-hmm. The church can't bypass the government to get access. So instead of having an adversarial relationship with the government, instead of making the government be an eye roll or a punchline to how much they're, how terrible they are at addressing these things, we decided that we would try to serve them. Mm-hmm. You know, the first thing that we did, this is funny, the first thing that we did is uh, we visited the, 
the Department of Children's Services, it's called in Tennessee, DCS. We visited their office in our county. And it was what you would think. Mm-hmm. It's like this stoic, um, you know, if, oh, it almost felt like a hospital, you know, it was just this sterile building. And it was very unpleasant and the colors and the lighting and everything, just everything about it felt terrible. And we asked the DCS team, would you allow us to renovate your building? And they said, sure. (laughs) So we got a designer. Sure. And then we got, we bought materials and then we just got volunteer labor from our church. And no joke, it looks like Joanna Gaines descended upon the DCS (laughs) office. Seriously, the before and afters will take your breath away. That's awesome. So the waiting room was this sterile room and now you got shiplap and you got TVs. So really Joanna Gaines. I mean like legitimately Joanna Gaines, yeah. Uh And that began a relationship with DCS Mm -hmm. where, I mean, DCS workers are underpaid underappreciated it is the most difficult it's such a difficult job yeah but when they show up in the morning and they're pouring coffee they're in this environment where they feel like there's a church that actually sees them cares enough about them yeah to be able to do something practical as redecorating their business their, their offices yeah. that's how it all began that ah uh, man oh i love that so i want to i want to focus on t- two the two groups you sort of laid out i don't know and I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So there's a level of practicality in the I don't know, right? These, and I think it's important to name, you know? A lot of times these kids wind up in an environment uh, that they're, they're in, invisible, to use, that, to use that language, for their own protection, mm-hmm. right? They, the government is doing so with the beginnings of a well-intentioned degree where they need to be kept safe, right? The challenge in that is because they're voiceless, that winds up where they're in your backyard and you legitimately don't know about it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really important for that group that we make clear that it is in everyone's backyard. Yes. I don't care how affluent your community is or non-affluent your community is. Mm-hmm. Foster care is near you. Yes. And much closer than you think. Yes. I'm coming, I live in the state of Illinois, so I'm very aware of our statistics, mm-hmm. but nationally, can you help folks understand the scope of this crisis. Yeah, so there's about 350,000 children in state custody in foster care in the United States. Um, some say it's as high as 400, but you know, say for, for round numbers, 350,000 children under the age of 18 mm. in foster care. Just turns out that there are 350,000 churches. So. There are a lot of societal problems that are so overwhelming and as you engage them, you almost feel a sense of helplessness. Yeah. And foster care is not one of them. The church is uniquely positioned geographically and at scale Mm -hmm. to address this issue. Mm -hmm. If it's not obvious enough, 350,000 and 350,000, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's like if every church would take responsibility for one child, mm-hmm. one child. Uh, we would together as a movement, as the movement of Jesus, be meeting the need of, of foster care in the entire nation. Yeah. Now that would require unity, it would require purpose. I, I mean, but I, I just love the vision of churches working together to do this. Totally. 
we're not glossing over the complications of that. Of course. But one of the things that I love about that vision is it's about having the church be known what it is for. Mm -hmm. And having the church be known about caring for the orphan. In this case, a modern day orphan. Yes. You know? One of the things that you talk a lot about, and I think it's also important to articulate for foster care, foster care comes in a lot of different varieties. Mm -hmm. You know, my wife and I have been foster parents, and one of the things that was a big surprise for me was learning about the nuances of foster care. You know, the most common reason a child enters care is because of uh, a report of neglect. But even in, in that context, there's a lot of different variety to that. Yes. And often they're trying to go into uh, care within the context of their own family so that they can continue to be connected to their family structure. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I love about this 350,000, 350,000 vision is there's a local church implication of that. Yes. Because what is helpful to articulate to folks is if you think about a child in foster care, so you have a child who goes into foster care in, uh, we'll use, you know, your, your town here. What often happens is there are not enough families in that town to care for that child. Now, we'll talk about it in a second on how you raise enough families to be in that town, but there aren't enough families in that town. So I'm a caseworker in that, in that too often sterile environment, mm-hmm. and I need to figure out where that child can go. And that child can either go to a shelter where they're often going to be in an outcome where we have data to show that those outcomes are less than desirable. As you said, they have the hardest job in the world. Mm-hmm. They are trying to keep kids safe. Yes. But they are faced with impossible choices like this every day. Or they can send that child to a home that is sometimes one county, two counties, three counties over. Mm-hmm. And when you think about that, that child has now been ripped away from their home, but they've also been ripped away from a maybe perhaps a coach or a teacher or whatever That's right. friend group That's has right. seen them. Mm-hmm. And as much trauma as it it goes into not being able to stay in the home that you came from, the one, it's trauma that becomes preventable. Mm -hmm. We had a a seven-week-old baby in our home who had been moved seven times in the first seven weeks of his life. Mm. And I remember telling our caseworker, we weren't in a position to take him in for a long period of time. And she, she was very gracious. She was like, it's just the weekend. And I remember looking at her and saying, like, I don't care how long he's here you are not moving him until this is his last move Mm -hmm. and he wound up staying with us for like two weeks because all we wanted to do was provide a level of stability for him in that key area of life to stop that trauma that was compounding trauma and what you're doing with the village is you're providing what's called wraparound services Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different varieties of this. There's a lot of different specifications of this. But this is really one of what I get into with the time we have left. What I think there's a level of potential, uh, where people might potentially go with this, and what I want to just really call out. People might see what the village is and go, well, I don't have those resources. I don't have those volunteers. I can't, uh, I don't have that structure. And then they wind up leaning out. Mm-hmm. And what I hear you talking about, what I hear you saying is finding those ways to lean in. In your context, that looks like the village. Yeah. But how can people lean in even if their context is, looks very different than what y'all are doing here? Yeah, so we have not built the village yet. We yeah. break ground this weekend. And Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. And we have 
almost all of the active services and ministries they're already they've already begun the the village is only going to amplify them um but so wraparound any church in america could do wraparound um and, and the whole idea is you know james 127 is that you know pure religion in the sight of god the father is caring for orphans and widows it doesn't say every single christian family needs to take in a foster child it says they need to care mm-hmm. So that's pretty broad, right? Yeah. So then the idea is then you've got to pray, ask yourself, are we in a position to be able to take in a foster child right now? And if the answer is no, then it's then how do we care for those who do? Mm-hmm. You imagine saying to some family in your church, what if you took in a, a, a foster child and the rest of the church took care of your grocery shopping, your washing, your house cleaning, and your yard work. And what if there was a group that gave you respite care as well once a week? Mm-hmm. Do you think you'd be able to do it then? There'd be some people be like, we might be able to do that then. Yeah. And so what we have done is we have developed teams of people. And so uh, we have part of our wraparound team, we have a team called First Responders. And what happens is when a child is placed, immediately there are like these first responders and they're basically like, what do you need? Yeah. Do you need clothing? Do you need baby supplies? Um, what is going to be most helpful for, for your family? How can we serve your family? Mm-hmm. And, and we want them to feel like they're not on their own. You know, we want them to feel like their church family is wrapping around them and feeling our responsibility to carry them as they carry this child. Yeah. Every church in America can do that. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're encouraging people to do. Yeah. I think about you know I think about it and I've often said this to people like if you think about the way you love on a family when they bring home a newborn baby mm-hmm. you can set up a structure to do that yes because that they're bringing home they're bringing a child into their home mm-hmm. and the difference is you know 9 months in advance when you're bringing That's home a, right. newborn ba- a newborn baby uh, the times that we've done this yeah you get a call placements happen in an hour an hour yes uh, we were gracious, very gracious once to get a call uh, 10 hours in advance. Okay. We were very excited about that because we got to decorate a room first. That's great. And I think what I, there's, I want to talk about some of those practicalities. You talked about groceries. You talked about laundry. You talked about uh, respite. The really thing that I want to articulate with respite, which is this is true from my understanding. Someone who's watching this on the internet will, I'm sure, tell me that I'm wrong in the comment section. But... My understanding is that most states are going to, what you do is you get the same type of license, mm-hmm. but that what respite care does is it allows you to be invested in caring for a foster child in your home, mm-hmm. but for a specific period of time. Mm-hmm. And the point of that is to take pressure off the system. Yes. So that caseworker understands that you are not a permanent home for that child, mm-hmm. but you can be a home for that child while they are finding the right home for that child. Mm-hmm. So whether that is a first responder, they know they can call you at two o'clock in the morning and you're going to pick up mm-hmm. or whether it's a, oh, it doesn't have to be a weekend. It can be a week. Mm-hmm. That is an incredibly valuable thing to offer the system. And it's a, what I often found in talking to people about this is it's a really helpful way in. Yeah. People think that if I'm going to sign up to be a foster, if I'm going to sign up to be a foster parent, I'm committing to my entire life and doing this 
in one particular way. Yeah. And there's so many different ways to get involved. That's right. And, and it does vary state to state. Yeah. So I'm familiar with Illinois, and Illinois does have that program. Tennessee does not have that program. Okay, great. So it's like, is it called Safe Families in Illinois? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Illinois has Safe Families. Tennessee has a, a bit of a different system, but it does vary state to state. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, my encouragement to people would be, like as, as church leaders, stop by your DCS office, introduce yourself, look them in the eye as a human being and say, I can't imagine how hard your job is. What can we do to help you? Yeah. Can we bring you some food? Can we, you know, like imagine if every DCS office in America was adopted by a church and they just said, let me tell you, Thanksgiving and Christmas, they're going to feel like royalty. They're just, they're our people. And in the same way that the church can wrap around a family who, who have received a child, a church can wrap around a DCS, a DCFS office and say, you belong to us. You're our people. And we don't need anything from you. All we want to do is help. It's, it's, it's sort of two things that come out of that. It's relational and it's educational. Yeah. Right. So you build relationship and you build trust. And, and there's a sense that these these workers have some sort of support. They're seen, they're loved, they're cared for. Mm -hmm. But also you start to learn what are the real problems? What are the pain points? Where are the gaps? Um, and, and, and what can we do about it? Mm -hmm. Our engagement in this has led to the governor and the first lady of our state becoming members of our church. I love that. So we now have such a strong relationship with DCS, with the government. I mean, they're, they're like it, our church family. Yeah. And it's been very, very special. And these are just doors that God has opened. Started out very simply in just renovating a DCS office. Yeah. Well, and, you know, we started this talking about those who don't know, and we've unpacked a lot of those who don't know what to do. But if you don't know what to do, it starts mm -hmm. by listening. It starts by prayer, mm -hmm. and the prayer leads you to a posture of listening. Mm -hmm. And that listening posture leads you to action. But that action doesn't look like the, the movie version of... No, this is a hard issue. I yeah. mean, in Tennessee, children are classified on a level of five levels, mm -hmm. right? Level one is that sweet five-year-old girl who has a teddy bear and she's looking for a home. And it's, it's just like a, it's a beautiful story, right? Levels four and five are teenage children who've had so much trauma, violence, sex abuse. Like these are angry children. I don't want to paint this picture that it's just like, it's all just so simple. And yeah. you just have these sweet little children come live with you. And it's so great. Mm -hmm. One of the challenges that we have, one of the things that we are inviting people to think about is a concept we call open nesters. And this is the idea of like challenging those who are empty nesters, those who have sent their kids to college. They have a few empty bedrooms in their home, but their children are no longer in their home. What if they were trained and certified to be able to take in some of the more difficult children? Mm -hmm. These are seasoned parents who had reps with teenagers and they know not to sweat some of the small stuff. They can be educated and supported, but they also don't have the potential vulnerability of harm to their other children yeah. who were in the home but are now no longer in the home. 
I think there's a real opportunity to be particularly targeting that segment of society in that life stage, totally. even if they opened up their home for a couple of years. Yeah. Instead of empty nesters, open nesters. I love that. Well, and I love, again, it goes back to something we were talking about earlier, like this requires everybody. Yes. The open nester taking in a 16 year old. Yes. Right. That is about two years of radically investing in that child, in that teenager, to show them that you actually, to show them what the language we would use is that what a loving, caring adult actually looks like. Yes. And compared to, you know, I remember talking to this one family and they were very, they were very concerned about the children in their home. Yes. And I was with a caseworker and the caseworker had this great exchange where she was like, look, here's what's gonna happen. Your child will absolutely be impacted, but your child will also absolutely be a kid. So they're gonna play together mm -hmm. and they're gonna fight mm -hmm. because they're, you're gonna have a kid in your home. Mm -hmm. And there was something about that's like simplicity of language, right? Yes. Not excusing the, what you're I'm talking of course, about. Yeah. But like, I think we often overcomplicate it because we're frankly, we're looking for reasons to say no. Mm -hmm. And by being, by providing the level of pathways that we're, you're talking about, you kind of really have to look for a reason to say no now, right? Because yeah. we all can go buy groceries for somebody. Right. We all can go do somebody's laundry, mm -hmm. right? Like you've created so many pathways for people to engage. And often what happens, you know, we see this all the time where you're doing laundry for a family that all of a sudden you're babysitting for that family, yeah. right? And all of a sudden God is using this small thing and you're becoming more and more invested in, in that. Um, Oh man, so the last thing I wanna hit is you have found a way with the village and this initiative and this heart posture to get people to continue to say yes. Mm -hmm. But as you just articulated, foster care is hard. It's hard. If someone's been invested mm -hmm. and they're ready to say no, how, what does it look like to wrap around them to encourage them to keep saying yes. Mm -hmm. So the purpose of one of the buildings of the village is to recruit, train, and retain foster families. It's one thing for them to hear an inspiring story in a sermon, mm -hmm. and then they're like, we're gonna do this, and then it's so much harder than they thought. We've got to give ongoing training. We've got to provide mentorship with other seasoned foster families who, who become a resource to them to be able to help them. Um, and then we want to retain them by doing anything that we can. So we put on a dinner every year for every, we, we invite every single foster, actively fostering family in our entire county to our church. Many of them don't go to our church. Many of them aren't even people of faith. And uh, we watch all the kids and then we just pour our hearts into these people mm -hmm. and we thank them and we give them gift cards and we give them an amazing meal and we speak words of life over them. Now, I realize this is just one dinner, but we're trying to come up with as many different initiatives as we possibly can, because to your point, once you once someone says yes, um, for them to continue, you know, the stat that I quoted today is that 80% of those who stop, stop because they don't have community support. Yeah. So wrap around, rapidly 
increases our odds of keeping someone in the game. Yep. Um, because we are providing a collection of resources where they don't feel like they're all on their own. Now, of course, if season of life changes or there's a crisis going on in your family and you have to close your home at certain times, that's completely understandable. Like, yeah. We're not guilting anyone. We are just trying to go, what are the innovative and creative strategies that we can adopt that can be helping shoulder the load of what it is to have a child placed in your home? Absolutely. Hmm. In asking that question, I would love to end in prayer because ultimately God's the one who answers. Mm -hmm. uh, so would you pray for those, those kids who are looking for those homes? Mm -hmm. But ultimately, the church to do what I believe, what you believe, mm -hmm. what so many of those who are hearing and watching this conversation believe is one of the most critical parts of our mission. Yes. Yes. Let's pray. So God, first of all, we want to pray for the children. The children that are represented in counties across our nation and uh, even on the international front, there are children. You know them all and they are your children. And I pray, God, for an awakening to this issue with the church. I pray, God, that you would cause a, a fresh wave of unity on mission that would unite churches together because these children really matter. Yeah. And so I, I pray that, that a, a movement of unity across the church would emerge as a result of this. I pray for those who are listening to this interview today and their hearts are beating a little fast right now because I've already been sensing that you're speaking to them. God, I pray instead of fear that you would replace that with peace and that there would be some courage to take some next steps. If there are wives who are elbowing husbands right now, I pray for conversations that will happen in the future that will turn into uh, some beautiful kingdom opportunities. Um, I know lots of people are nervous about this, God, and I pray that you would just speak to them your peace, that you would speak to them your courage as well. May this be one of the greatest moments of the church, serving orphans, serving children, serving kids who every adult in their lives has failed them, and send your people to rescue them, to love them, to serve them. We know, God, that this is pure and genuine religion, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, man. Thanks, Abby. The Child Discipleship Podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith. Young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org slash donate. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from this conversation, as well as information about other podcasts from Awana. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.